I like cockroaches. In fact, cockroaches are my favourite insect. Why? Because I've worked with them for such a long time <laughs> and I have this great respect for them. Cockroaches have probably existed in the form they're in now for over 300 million years. So they're real survivors. You know, they're, they're left over from a bygone era and they're still doing very, very well. You have to respect them for their adaptability. You said that you respect them, but does that mean you like them or you just kind of respect what they are? Yeah, I like them. They're interesting creatures. I think some of the pest cockroaches are handsome insects. Handsome? Yeah, they got the Australian cockroach. It's, it's Periplanita australasiae. They have some really nice yellow markings on the pronotum. This is Bryce Peters. Bryce is an entomologist from the University of Technology, Sydney, and that's essentially a fancy term for someone who studies insects. You know, but, but people are repulsed by them. And a lot of fear of cockroaches is because of what we call entomophobia, right? Entomophobia is the fear of insects. People are scared of cockroaches because they move erratically, they're fast, they're, you know, they're a little bit scratchy when they walk. And People are scared of them. They, you know, they're just repulsed by them. But uh, no, I quite like them. I, I don't think I've ever heard someone describe a cockroach as handsome. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Think Sustainability on 2SCR 107.3. I'm Jake Morecambe. We're fast approaching summer here in Australia, so you can probably already feel the heat and stickiness coming on. But you know what else summertime brings? Bugs. Bugs, bugs, bugs. All the creepy, crawly, buzzing, flying insects that either you've learned to live with or, like in my case, give you hell. I caught up with Bryce, the entomologist, because A, he knows everything about insects and who better to explain what to expect this summer, and B, so he can tell you how to deal with them. Insects, cockroaches like all insects, they don't control their own body temperature like we do. So the more humid it is, the warmer it is, the more active they are, the faster they go through their life cycle. So we see a lot of them. Yeah, why is that? In the wintertime, you usually don't see roaches around that much. But in the summer, their eggs hatch and the young ones, the nymphs, will start to move around and we notice them. They're much more active. In the, when it's cool, they're not as active. They don't have the energy they require to move around much. So often in the wintertime, they'll die out or they'll be very dormant. But as it warms up in the spring and, and summer, temperatures like we're experiencing at the moment, cockroaches love them. They're active. They move around. They forage for food. When they breed, they go from an egg to a nymph, a young cockroach, through their various molts into an adult much faster when it's warmer and humid than when it's cooler. So they've been around for a number of million years. Exactly. But how, what is the average lifespan of a cockroach that you might see around your house right. if, if no. you don't step on it or, okay. like, or hit it? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, if, if a cockroach was to survive their full life cycle, a German cockroach, which, which is a very small one, might live 6 to 12 months maximum. The larger cockroach, which is the American or smoky brown people see, they might live up to two years. So they'll go through. But someone has done some sums and they say the German cockroach that can move through their life cycle very quickly, 
they say if you get a single pair of German cockroaches, you give them optimum temperature, humidity, food, nutrition, and harbourages to live, they say a single pair can produce about 400,000 in a year. Oh, that's kind of a nightmare. (laughs) Do they hold, I'm talking about the ones that we see around our houses, do they hold any sort of ecological benefits? Oh, absolutely. A cockroach is often lower in the food chain. So if we've got roaches that live outside or roaches that live in the garden, they might be food for reptiles, amphibians, for birds. Then there are other insects. There's parasitic wasps, which will lay eggs in a cockroach, mm-hmm. parasitise them, and out comes wasps. So there's, they are food for a lot of different other animals. So if you see a cockroach with some weird sort of growth, does that mean it's been like fertilised by a wasp? <laughs> no, you, you won't see it moving around. <laughs> oh, that's creepy. So why do they choose a cockroach to be the vessel for their eggs? Well, certain species will choose other species to breed. There's a uh, a wasp, a solitary wasp, will often choose a big spider. They'll come along, sting the spider, transport the spider back to their mud nest. Then they'll lay eggs within that spider and the larvae develop, eat the dead spider, and out comes wasps again. And they do that so they can have kind of like a live vessel for them to grow in? Like, yeah, so it's perfect, perfect nutrition for them. Right. That's yeah. that. Wow. Nightmares. Nightmares are coming. <laughs> I, it's, it's all a bit bizarre. In your house, if you see one of these big cockroaches, what is your instinct now? Okay. If I, I see a big cockroach, like an American cockroach, I just go along, pick it up. And I walk way down the back and throw it. I'd throw with, with it with anything like barehanded. No, I don't, no, I don't mind. I just pick them up because the, I think the scary factor there as well is that they can make you sick because of stuff like that. Well, yes, okay. Cockroaches aren't particularly dirty themselves. Okay, they're they're continually grooming themselves, but cockroaches will pick up the bacteria and viruses associated with their environment. So you're right, if a cockroach comes out of a sewer or a drain, it's likely it's carrying some of that flora. If a cockroach is just wandering around your kitchen, it's not probably carrying a lot, but still I'm not recommending people to do that, but just that's just what I do. But, you know, there's been a lot of studies done. In the old days, people found cockroaches in leprosy wards of hospitals. If they isolated the cockroach, had a look at it, they could find the leprosy bugs associated with that cockroach. So it just reflects what's in the environment. But we have to be careful. The Health Act stipulates that there shouldn't be cockroaches in food preparation areas. That's because the chance of transferring pathogenic organisms like Salmonella or Shigella from the cockroaches to the food is a possibility. That's why we don't want them. The odd cockroach around the house, well, doesn't bother me. My wife doesn't like them at all. So she says, get rid of them. <laughs> what does she say when you, she sees you picking up like a big cockroach just by the hand? As long as it's gone, she doesn't matter. But if she sees one, she sprays it. She sprays enough insecticide on it that uh, the weight of the insecticide on the cockroach kills it, let alone the active inside. <laughs> I grew up in Mount Cola, so like yep, near the Hornsby yep. Way. I literally lived over the road from the bush. And my house was baited. Is that a blessing or a curse? Well, cockroach baits are very good because they're very species-specific. So so people worry about, particularly in large-scale agriculture or doing blanket spraying, that not only are we killing the target 
insect, we're killing a lot of other insects and spiders and perhaps causing environmental damage. Baits are great because we place baits out and it's really only roaches and maybe ants that are feeding on them and they're feeding on an area they're not really supposed to be in. So they're nearly species-specific cockroach baits, so they work quite well. There's a couple of forms of baits. There's a solid bait that you see where you buy in the little plastic device, or there's a gel bait. The gel baits exploit the roach's requirements for moisture and for food, and consumers can buy gel baits, or a professional pest control operator will come around and they'll just put tiny pea-sized amounts of this gel all over the kitchen. When the roaches are foraging, they come across it. It's formulated to be very palatable. They'll take a piece and they'll die. So ecologically, it's a very sound way of controlling them. It seems like humans have somewhat of a symbiotic relationship with certain types of cockroaches, like we do with dogs. It's like we kind of live alongside them in in certain areas. But in the same way, if we're baiting them or if we're spraying them, are we changing the way they breed? I'm not sure we'd change the relationship, but we're certainly treating them by spraying or by baits. We're selecting out for various individuals within a population so what's happening in any population of insects the faster the life cycle the quicker this happens is that you get mutations natural mutations are occurring all the time if we put out an insecticide that's acting like a selection agent so we might find that a roach has had a natural mutation and we come along and we use a spray that spray kills most of the roaches but this one survives this one that survives and breeds passes that genetic information Mm. on to the offspring and over time the population can change so definitely spraying them and controlling them with chemicals can lead to insect resistance and we're seeing this all the time we've got to come up with different insecticides because in the end old insecticides aren't valuable anymore. They're not useful because the amount we have to use is not economically viable. Is it the case of then using these new sorts of pesticides or not using pesticides at all? There is that choice. The problem we have, Jack, is the world can't feed itself without pesticides. What do you mean we can't feed ourselves without pesticides? If we don't use pesticides, it will be very difficult for the world to produce the amount of food it needs. So the research is going into more and more specific insecticides. Some of the latest groups are called pro-insecticides. I have a glass of water sitting beside me. A pro-insecticide, as it's sitting there in the container, is not an insecticide. When it's taken in by the insect, the insect metabolises it into an insecticide. We're only really targeting the insects that we want to take it in. A lot of cockroach talk, but something that I think is also big is mosquitoes. Is it the same kind of situation in terms of summer brings out the cockroaches, it also brings out the mosquitoes? Absolutely. The warmer and more humid it is, the better insects do. But mosquitoes have an an added story in that they have an aquatic younger stage. So mosquitoes, which are termed wrigglers, Okay, with the mosquito larvae. So if there's a lot of rain, there's puddles, 
then mosquitoes do better as well. Once they're adults, it's nice and warm and it's nice and humid, then they'll come and look for you. And they're looking (laughs) for temperature, they're looking for CO2 being given off, but they're looking for body chemicals. And it might be that you're particularly interesting to them, maybe compared to the person standing next to you. Yeah, why is that? Different people are more or less attractive to mosquitoes than other people. So it's different body chemicals that will attract mosquitoes. What are these chemicals that, that you Chemicals mentioned? are produced by the skin. So they're, they're just very, very subtle chemicals. Repellents seem to be a short-term solution or like short-term exposure to mosquitoes that you'd use that. They are. But what's a long-term? Well, there's, there's not so much long-term, but there's different behavioural things you can do. Wear long sleeves, long pants, cover up, shoes, minimum exposure. Avoid going out when there's change of light, sunrise, sunset, because that's when often many mosquitoes are most active. It's their peak biting times. But a lot of people, they don't want long sleeves. It's, it's hot, mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable. Therefore, they move towards personal insect repellents. So, yes, they are short-term, you know, usually four, six, eight hours, but they are very effective at what they want to do, and they do give you great protection. And also in the same way, are they kind of similar to cockroaches in, like, for some animals, you know, they're a food source? But do they have any other ecological significance as well, like outside of the food chain? I'm not sure outside so much, but in the aquatic environment, a lot of fish rely on mosquito larvae to eat. So very, very important in the food chain, both in the aquatic environment and in the air. But apart from that, they're actually very often a vector of disease, but they're an unwitting vector as they've taken a blood feed and they transfer that diseases to to humans. So that's their big effect on the world. In Australia, we're quite lucky in that most people would say mosquitoes are just a nuisance, right? It's unlikely you're going to come down with anything, although there are mosquito-borne diseases around, like Ross River, that's possible, but unlikely. Up around Townsville and Cairns, we have a mosquito called Aedes aegypti. This is a legendary vector. That's the vector of dengue, and we do have dengue around that area. Dengue fever is a terrible thing to get for some people. That same mosquito is the Zika virus, okay? In South America, it's yellow fever. So there's some very bad mosquito-borne diseases that are out there. In fact, some really sort of sobering facts is while I'm sitting here talking to you, Jake, a child dies every 30 seconds from mosquito-borne disease. So it's it's highly significant, and most of those diseases are increasing, not decreasing. How is this transmission process actually happening from mosquito, mosquito to human to human? Okay, it depends. It get, can get very complicated in the instance of malaria, but if we take dengue, a mosquito comes around. The humans are the reservoir for dengue fever. So if we look at a place, we're in Cairns, more than likely where you're being bitten is inside because this mosquito is like the cockroach and the mosquito family it likes to be inside. So it bites. Now, if that person has dengue, the mosquito, what it does is it injects an anticoagulant saliva in, takes a blood meal, off it goes, lays its eggs. But that dengue virus stays within the mosquito. The next time it bites, it transfers the dengue back into the next host 
and that's how a an epidemic will start. In dengue, the problem we have with dengue in, in Australia is if a child under 10 gets dengue for the second time, it's nearly always fatal. So we have to be very careful. You said you have respect for cockroaches. Do you have the same respect for mosquitoes? Not really. I guess cockroaches maybe has a little bit more of a personality. <laughs> what is a cockroach's personality in your eyes? Well, just just observing behaviour in the lab and what they do and how they try and get out of containers. How? Show, tell me. They move around. Well, we on a, on a cockroach's bottom of the leg is a, a hook as well as a suction pad. So they can run up a curtain as well as they can run up glass. You know, so they're very adaptable. So the only way we can keep them in when we're, we're working on them is use a, a material called Fluon. That's like, uh, you know, a non-stick fry pan has Teflon. Mm. It's a polymer like Teflon. We put that on and it gets up to this point and then it can't get a grip and it'll fall back down. <laughs> but we see them trying again and hopping on the back of another Cockroaches, then they learn. I'm not going to run up there. It's it's no use. So and we've also used um, electrical fences. So we just get like alarm tape, foil tape. We just have positive, negative, positive, and the roach comes along. Half its body's on the positive, the rest is on the negative. Gets this little shock and jumps back down again. So it learns not to do that too. So they're, they're just interesting to watch. <laughs> And you don't think that mosquitoes are kind of on the same wavelength there? They may be, but it's just I I don't get that opportunity to observe individuals like that. When you work, uh, we do a bit of work in the Northern Territory in Darwin and we work with the Anopheles mosquito there. That's a mosquito that's a vector of malaria. We're fortunate in Australia that it's not carrying malaria. But they're really interesting biters as they'll just fly straight in, bang and bite, you know. So I'm interested in them. How they, don't, they don't seem to think about it like mosquitoes in Sydney. They just straight in and bite. So they're interesting. What else kind of comes out this time of year and really pisses okay, people off? Particularly the time we're in now, Jake, which is, uh, you know, late spring, early summer, is the bush fly. Flies. How could I forget? Now, Bryce knows his cockroaches and mosquitoes, but someone who really knows flies is this guy. Hello? Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm not too bad, sorry. This is Dr. Brian Lassard. Brian is based in Canberra with CSIRO, but his specialty is flies. So much so, he's been dubbed Bry the Fly Guy. And to finish this show, I just knew I had to get him on Skype to have a chat. First question I want to know is, why do flies land on my face? Yeah, so tears and our sweat are a rich source of water and salt. So you can think of those as the Gatorade for flies. So they want to rehydrate themselves. So that's why they go for our eyes or our nose or land on our face. I went on a walk in a big park the other day, though, and there's this huge lake central in the park. Why are they trying to get the water off my face and not just go to the lake? Well, if they go to the lake, they might be at risk of predators that eat them, like fish. I think the the flies are quite opportunistic, so they kind of get water and salt wherever they can take it. And a lot of uh, large animals like kangaroos go to lakes to drink water as well, so they can can get a good meal from a, a kangaroo as well. So when they land on your face and they're getting the (laughs) moisture out of it, how exactly are they doing that? 
they actually draw up the liquids through the proboscis or the large mouth part. It's quite fleshy at the base and spongy as well. And it's a great sponge to kind of suck up and lap up the liquids on your face. Are they giving you germs when they do that? <laughs> Some flies are known to carry diseases. Um, Horse flies in particular have been found to, in really rare cases, carry anthrax and other nematodes through the act of feeding. But most of the time, we don't have to worry about this at all. Chances are they won't do anything nasty to you. What about when you're walking with a friend or something in the middle of summer, you're going on a bushwalk, and then you look at your friend's back and it's just completely covered in flies and they're just kind of like resting there. Why do they do that as well? Sometimes they just go to your back because it's a nice sweaty kind of area so they can get a a meal from that. But also if it's too hot during the day, flies will rest normally on the underside of leaves, but they might also perch on the back of a hiker as well. But when they're not drinking your sweat, most flies actually drink the nectar from flowers because it's quite energy rich and can get them through the day. So you're obviously Bry the fly guy, but when you go out in summer and there's flies everywhere flying around your face, do you get annoyed by that? (laughs) I can tell you by studying the most annoying thing in the world, it makes them that little bit less annoying and you're actually more intrigued about their behavior. So I went to Jarvis Bay the other weekend with some friends and I was actually looking at the flies that were landing on their backs to make sure what species they were and if they were interesting and they thought I was crazy. (laughs) So what species were they? Were they just like your standard kind of horsefly or like the one that you see around summertime? Yeah, so these flies were from just the common bushfly family, muscadie, and there's about 185 species in Australia alone. And they're the common little black ones that you normally get outdoors and may come inside your um, house as well. In your house, if a group of flies comes in, say you've got maybe one or two flies circling around your kitchen, what do you do? How, How do you get rid of them? So I normally just shoo them out if they are in my house. I don't think I've used fly spray for over two years and it's because they're not really annoying to me anymore and I can live with them. (laughs) Because summertime around my house now, I've got a little outdoor area at the back and there's so many flies around there. And I think also growing up near the bush, the first thing that was kind of trained into my mind is if you see a fly anywhere near around the house, you spray it with fly spray. Yeah, I think we're all ingrained to use fly spray. Um, When we're growing up, we've seen our parents use it whenever there's an insect, whether it's a fly or a bogon moth or a huntsman. But some insects can be really beneficial in the house as well. So like a huntsman will actually eat any mosquitoes that come into the house. So would you prefer a huntsman that doesn't really bother you or a swarm of mosquitoes biting you when you're in your bed? What do you? What is your kind of like suggestion for me as well? Because I've just moved into an area where there are a lot of cockroaches as well, but there's a lot of flies coming into summertime here. How would you suggest that I deal with that? Some flies do transfer some diseases around humans, especially if you leave your food around. And the same thing's true for some of the introduced species of cockroaches. So I would recommend just fly spraying the entry points like your doorways, windows, and seeing if that prevents them from entering. But what if they get in? (laughs) They probably will get in. So insects are really resourceful. 
and they can fit through any nooks and crannies. So in my apartment in Canberra, I've closed the doors um, at night and during the day. And every time I wake up, there's always bogon moths at this time of year that have managed to squeeze their way through the window frames. And they're quite insane. How do you feel about moths? I'm actually okay with moths. Um, <laughs> I do worry about some of them coming into my uh, wardrobe and putting some holes in my shirts. But just like the flies, I try and shoo them out of my house. Entomologists Bryce and Brian both think insects around the home get a bad rap. Yes, there are certain species of fly, mosquito and cockroach that can be vectors for germs, but the probability of you actually getting sick from any of those bugs that lurk around your house is much lower than you might think. Many of these little creepers and buzzers are crucial in fertilising fauna, are big players in the food chain for certain animals, and a lot of them break down the waste that we as humans produce so much of. It's these sort of roles that insects play that attracted Bryce to study them in the first place. People are just repulsed by them, you know, and I, I don't see that. I can understand why they don't want to live with them, no problem, but I don't find them as bad. Other people hate spiders and can't stand them, and that's... Spiders, I guess, there's a reason, because we have a few toxic species, but it, they sort of all seem to get tarred with the same brush. But most of them are really innocuous guys that... You know, just like to live out in the garden, don't bother people. How would you convince me, aside from this conversation, to be less kind of grossed out and freaked out by the cockroach? I think it's very difficult, Jake, to do it. If it was something in a long term, I'd say come up to our lab <laughs> in the science <laughs> building and work with them for a while and you would you would become used to them. But apart from that, I think it's something that's just inbuilt in, in people in Sydney-siders, you know. Thanks for listening to the show. Think Sustainability is produced with the assistance of the University of Technology Sydney and 2SER. If you like the show, make sure to jump on your favourite podcast app and subscribe to search for Think Sustainability. We're also on iTunes and SoundCloud. My name is Jake Morecambe. See you next time. 